You are listening to the sermon podcast for Salem Presbyterian Church in Winston-Salem. Thanks for listening. To learn more about our church, visit salempresws.org. That's salempresws.org. We believe preaching is best when experienced as part of the larger drama of God's people gathering. Something spiritually unique happens when God's people are together. We meet each Sunday to let the liturgy shape us, to hear preaching, and to take the Lord's Supper. And these acts are more robust when done together. Join us Sunday evenings at 5 p.m. in downtown Winston-Salem at 600 Holly Avenue. Please rise for the reading of God's word. And that's Exodus 14, 10 through 29. When Pharaoh drew near, the people of Israel lifted up their eyes, and behold, the Egyptians were marching after them, and they feared greatly. And the people of Israel cried out to the Lord. They said to Moses, Is it because there are no graves in Egypt that you have taken us away to die in the wilderness? What have you done to us in bringing us out of Egypt? Is not this what we said to you in Egypt? Leave us alone that we may serve the Egyptians. For it would have been better for us to serve the Egyptians than to die in the wilderness. And Moses said to the people, Fear not, stand firm and see the salvation of the Lord, which he will work for you today. For the Egyptians whom you see today, you shall never see again. The Lord will fight for you, and you you have only to be silent. The Lord said to Moses, Why do you cry to me? Tell the people of Israel to go forward. Lift up your staff and stretch out your hand over the sea and divide it, that the people of Israel may go through the sea on dry ground. And I will harden the hearts of the Egyptians so that they shall go in after them. And I will get glory over Pharaoh and all his hosts, his chariots and his horsemen. And the Egyptians shall know that I am the Lord when I have gotten glory over Pharaoh, his chariots and his horsemen. Then the angel of God, who was going before the host of Israel, moved and went behind them. And the pillar of cloud moved from before them and stood behind them, coming between the host of Egypt and the host of Israel. And there was the cloud and the darkness, and it lit up the night without one coming near the other all night. Then Moses stretched out his hand over the sea, and the Lord drove the sea back by a strong east wind all night, and made the sea dry land, and the waters were divided. And the people of Israel went into the midst of the sea on dry ground, the waters being a wall to them on their right hand and on the left. The Egyptians pursued and went in after them into the midst of the sea, all Pharaoh's horses, his chariots, and his horsemen. And in the morning watch, the Lord, in the pillar of fire and of cloud, looked down on the Egyptians' forces and threw the Egyptian forces into a panic, clogging their chariot wheels so that they drove heavily. And the Egyptians said, Let us flee from before Israel, for the Lord fights for them against the Egyptians. Then the Lord said to Moses, Stretch out your hand over the sea, that the water may come back upon the Egyptians, upon their chariots, and upon their horsemen. So Moses stretched out his hand over the sea, and the sea returned to its normal course when the morning appeared. And as the Egyptians fled into it, the Lord threw the Egyptians into the midst of the sea. The waters returned and covered the chariots and the horsemen, Of all the hosts of Pharaoh that had followed them into the sea, not one of them remained. 
But the people of Israel walked on dry ground through the sea, the waters being a wall to them on their right hand and on their left. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Good evening. I'm going to try not to say good morning or this morning. This is the first time I've preached in the evening for 13 years. Our service is in the morning. So it's an honor to be here. Uh, Ben is a dear, dear brother. Y'all planted, I think a year before we planted at Hope Chapel in Greensboro. And so we kind of walked together, laughed together, cried together over these past years. And then this past year, we decided to preach the same sermons together. So every week, Ben and I get together, we look over the passage, we come up with our points, illustrations, and it's just been a joy for us at Hope Chapel. It's been a joy for me, because I consider Ben, really, y'all are very privileged. He's one of the best preachers in North Carolina and the triads. So you are blessed to have him and to have Margie. So thank you for letting me uh, fill the, the pulpit. So we're continuing this evening in our series. Uh, it's called The Greatest Story. And we began over two months ago looking at Genesis 1 and 2, where we learned that God is the creator. And he's created the world and it's a beautiful world. And he's called us to be co-creators with him, to use our gifts, our talents, our resources in his creative work. Now, unfortunately, it didn't take long before Satan to enter the picture to deceive Adam and Eve with a terrible lie. And then this beautiful world began to crumble. It was tainted with sin and death. But the good news this evening is that God did not abandon his people. He established a great rescue plan that began in the garden and continues today through the life, death, and resurrection of Christ. The good news is that although it might seem that God's plan is being thwarted as we look at the media, as we look at the, the, the climate, the heat, all those things, we know that God is establishing his kingdom. God is on the move, rescuing people and nations every day, although we struggle to believe it. Now, our text fans into flame our hope in the midst of dire circumstances as we see God make a way for his people. Now, there's two things that I want us to look at this evening. And the first is an unbelieving people. And then secondly, a rescued people. Let me pray for us. Father, I'm grateful and humbled to stand behind this pulpit. I invite you, Holy Spirit, to come, to move in our hearts, to take this very familiar story and make it afresh and new in our hearts. Lord, would you meet us Would you transform us through your word? And we pray this in the powerful name of Jesus. Amen. So I invite you to open your Bible apps and your Bibles. And first thing that we're going to look at is an unbelieving people. 
Now, last week, we looked at the story of Joseph, and we rejoiced over the reconciliation between Joseph and his brothers. Now, they stayed in Israel. And so for years, the Israelites were actually in Egypt, and they were under a pharaoh, and they were blessed by that pharaoh, and they multiplied. But Joseph died, and then after Joseph died, Pharaoh died, and a new Pharaoh came into being. And when he reigned, he looked out and he saw all these Israelites, and their their numbers were growing, and he was threatened by that. So he ordered his taskmasters to basically make the Israelites slaves. And so they worked hard and harder and harder. And the Israelites, under this incredible burden, cried out to God. Asking God to come and rescue. And so what does God do? He sends Moses. And Moses goes to Pharaoh and he says, you need to let my people go. And Pharaoh's heart was hardened. And so what does God do? He sends one plague after another plague after another plague. And Pharaoh's heart continued to be hardened. And so God said, finally, I'm going to send the plague over Egypt that the firstborn child is going to die. As the angel of death passed over. Now the Israelites were protected because they were told to take a lamb, to slay that lamb, to put the blood on the post. And so that evening when the angel of death came over Egypt, all the firstborn Egyptians died. But the Israelites were spared. There was great wailing throughout Egypt that evening. And Pharaoh, who had lost his own firstborn son, he summoned Moses and Aaron. And he said to them, you are now free to go. Not only can you go, but you can take your herds, you can take your cows, you can take your goods. And so the Israelites, rejoicing at all that God had done for them, packed up all their belongings and they fled into the desert towards the land of Canaan. The land in which God had promised. And during the day, God provided a pillar of cloud. I love his goodness to us to provide shade for them, to guide them. And then at night, he provided a pillar of fire because it was cold in the wilderness. And it acted as a light so that they could walk by day or night. Now that brings us to chapter 14 of Exodus in our text this evening. God had led the Israelites through the desert to the edge of the Red Sea and told them to camp there. Now, can you imagine what that must have been like for them? They had been in the desert. It was dry. And now they were next to the Red Sea. And my guess is the kids were all happy. They were playing in the water. You'd feel the cool breeze off of the Red Sea. And then all of a sudden... They began to hear chariots behind them. And they thought to themselves, this can't be. Our ears must be deceiving ourselves. But then the chariots got louder and louder and louder. And then in verse 10, they lifted up their eyes. They looked out over the horizon and they saw their enemy barreling towards them. They saw the Egyptian armies coming after them 
And there was really nowhere for them to go. There was a sea on one side and the Egyptians on the other. So what was their response? It says, when Pharaoh drew near, the people of Israel lifted up their eyes and behold, the Egyptians were marching after them and they feared greatly. I love how the Jesus storybook describes their reaction. So they did the only thing there was left to do. They panicked in an instant. All that they had seen God do was swallowed up by unbelief. Look at verses 10 through 12. And the people of Israel, they cried out to the Lord. They said to Moses, is it because there are no graves in Egypt that you have taken us away to die in the wilderness? What have you done to us, bringing us out of Egypt? Is not this what we said to you in Egypt? Leave us alone that we may serve the Egyptians. For it would have been better for us to serve the Egyptians than to die in the wilderness. Their hearts were full of fear and unbelief, which caused them to grumble and complain against God. They assigned malevolent malevolent motives and attributes to God. God, you're cruel. You've tricked us into trusting you. God, you're not good. You brought us out here to die. God, you're not wise. For it would have been better for us to have stayed in Egypt and served the Egyptians. Do you hear the whispers from the Garden of Eden? God doesn't want what is best for you. He wants to keep you down. So eat the fruit and you will be like him. In the face of their enemy, the Israelites' faith, it evaporates like the morning dew. Their fear and their unbelief lead them to grumble and complain. After graduating um, from UNC Chapel Hill, I know that's not popular here in Winston. After graduating from UNC Chapel Hill, I went on staff with InterVarsity. And that summer, I was charged with raising $20,000. And over the course of those three months, I saw God move in incredible ways. And by the end of August, God had provided $20,000 so that I could go and intern at William & Mary. And so I had a buddy from Carolina that was taking a gap year. He decided to go live with me. And so we had arranged an apartment. My parents, his parents, we loaded up our U-Hauls. We took them to Williamsburg. We stayed in a hotel that night. And the next morning, we were to go get our keys to our apartment and move in. And so we get up. We go eat a great breakfast. We go to the apartments. We get our keys. We go to our apartment. We open the door. And there was the foulest smell that I've ever smelled. It smelled like a dead animal. And we thought, okay, you know, maybe there's something died in here. Let's open all the windows. So we did that, opened the windows. And then we started looking at all the walls. And there was marks all over the walls. And my mom and his mom were like, nope, you are not living in this apartment. And we're like, okay. That's probably a good idea, but where are we going to live? And my heart, even though it had grown that summer, my faith had grown so much in an instant, I went from faith to unbelief. And I began to question God. God, you're, you're good to everybody else, but you're not good to me. 
This is cruel for you to bring me and my family and my buddy all the way to Williamsburg. And then we don't have a place to live. I'm supposed to leave in two days to go on a retreat. How am I going to do that? So often we move from from belief to fear. Like the Israelites, I moved from what Henry Nouwen refers to as the house of God's love to the house of fear. Our fears might be prompted by difficult circumstances, such as the loss of an apartment, a cancer diagnosis, a difficult relationship, an unexpected financial crisis. Or our fears can come from past wounds that lead us to just have a basic fear of failure, a fear of rejection, a fear of not belonging. The truth is we all struggle with fear and unbelief. And this might explain why the most often repeated phrase in scripture is what? Do not be afraid. And so I wonder this evening, in what ways are you living in the house of fear? Where are you struggling with unbelief and assigning malevolent attributes and motives to God? The fact that the Israelites are in this place is both sobering and encouraging. It's sobering because they had seen God move and they had demonstrated great faith And then in an instant, when they saw those Egyptian armies coming after them, their fate evaporated. But it's also encouraging because God didn't abandon them. He was gracious to them. He was long-suffering to them. He was forgiving to them. And so the first thing that we see in our text this evening is an unbelieving people. But the second thing we see in our text is a rescued people. God's grace is poured out in Moses' response. You know, Moses, he could have yelled at them. He could have left them in their panic. But he doesn't do either of these things. Moses, like a good shepherd, speaks truth when they most needed to hear it. Look at verses 12 through 14. Moses says this, fear not, stand firm and see the salvation of the Lord, which he will work for you today. For the Egyptians who you see today, you shall never see again. The Lord will fight for you. I love that. The Lord will fight for you. And you only have to be silent. Moses was a fear buster. He was telling them, stand firm, lift up your eyes. Yes, you saw the Egyptian armies coming towards you, but you are going to see those same armies be swallowed up by water. Use the eyes of faith instead of eyes of fear, and you will see the salvation of the Lord which he will work for you today. You see, the Egyptians today, they're going to see God's rescue. I love the fact that he says, God will fight for you. God will rescue 
you and I. And let me pause for a moment here. Because what Moses says and does, it sometimes gets overlooked because we quickly move on to the, the great scene of the parting of the Red Sea and God enacting his rescue plan. But in our faith journey, we all need people like Moses in our lives. We need men and women in our lives who provide space for us to come with our fears, to be honest about our fears, to be honest about our unbelief. And then to have those men and women gently and lovingly speak truth to us and remind us who God is. Remind us of his character. Remind us of his faithfulness and who spur us from a place of unbelief to a place of faith. Who are the truth tellers and the fear busters in your life? And as the Lord brings maybe different people to mind, I'd encourage you this evening to take a moment to send them a text and to thank them, to thank them for walking alongside of you when you were so scared and your your faith just seemed to evaporate and they lovingly spoke truth to you. And then in the same way, I'd encourage each one of you to be a Moses to a friend, a neighbor, a family member. And when you see their fear, don't try to fix them, but instead listen to them, hold them and speak truth to them. So now as we move, continue in verse 15, the Lord said to Moses, why do you cry to me? Tell the people of Israel to go forward. And then in verses 19 through 20, the angel of God, he came and he moved among them and the pillar of cloud and moved from the front to the back. And it was between the Egyptians and the Israelites. And for a time, the Egyptians could not see the Israelites. So they just circled and the Israelites, they couldn't go anywhere. So they just circled. And then what does Moses do? Those of us who are older remember Charlton Heston in the Ten Commandments. As he takes his staff and he puts it in the sea and the waters part. For those of you who are much younger than me, the Prince of Egypt is probably what you've seen. It's an iconic scene. And God parts the Red Sea and he brings a wind to dry the ground. And the Israelites, they begin to walk through the sea on the dry ground. And then the Egyptian armies, they think, well, we're going to follow. And they begin to follow. But as they follow, God threw them into confusion. And then what did they say? They realized what we often need to realize. The Lord fights for them. The Lord fights for his people. And then the Lord told Moses to stretch out his hand over the sea. And the walls of water began to cast down engulfing the Egyptian forces look at verse 23 but the people of Israel walked on dry ground through the sea and then as you go down to verse 30 thus the Lord saved Israel that day from the hand of the Egyptians and Israel saw the Egyptians dead on the seashore God promises 
to rescue his people. And in verse 31, we see the transformation of the Israelites' heart from unbelief to belief, from fear to faith. Israel saw the great power that the Lord used against the Egyptians. And so what did the people do? They feared the Lord and they believed in the Lord and in his servant, Moses. A friend of mine had a child who was going through a lot of troubles and he was depressed because he felt like he was a bad parent. And he was asking, you know, why is this happening to us? And another friend came along and said, you know, we we all want our children to be saved. We all want them to profess faith in Christ. But once they do that, we think of their sanctification as kind of like riding up an escalator from earth to heaven, just slow and easy. Everything's going great. But the reality is sanctification for our kids and for all of us is more like bungee jumping up and down, up and down through different turmoils and circumstances that we desperately need God rescuing us. And so I wonder, what have you been rescued from lately? What do you need to be rescued from? We have a God who rescued from the hands of the Egyptians then. And we have a God who sent his only son to rescue us from sin and death. Have you ever thought, what did it cost God to rescue Israel from the Egyptians? It cost him all the firstborn children, image bearers in Egypt. It cost him all the image bearers when those waters caved in on the Egyptian army. God's heart broke. And it cost him ultimately his son, Jesus Christ, who he sent to earth, the greatest rescue plan ever arranged so that he might come and rescue us from our sin, from ourselves, so that we who profess faith in him might receive life. And this evening, we get to participate Rascals.